For the last 15 years, Greg and I have had our own company. But before that, I worked in the corporate world for other people, other companies. And I did that job for a long time, most of my adult life, various companies, various jobs, that required me to travel, not by car, but by plane. And although that would seem to some to be pretty exciting, getting to go to great places, it wasn't so exciting for me because I was afraid to fly. So sometimes I would have to get on a plane in the morning and fly to Arizona for a meeting and fly home that night, and the next day get on a different plane and fly to New York and stay there for a couple of days and then fly back home. Three out of four weeks of each month, I was flying somewhere, and I was terrified. So before I'd get on the plane that night, I'd fall asleep, but I didn't sleep. It was restless, thinking about what could happen wrong once we were in that plane. I got a bottle of anointing oil, and I'd smear that on my hand. And as I got on the plane, crossed that threshold, I had this put down to a science, so they didn't know what I was doing. I'd step over that threshold, and I anointed that plane. Keep us up, Lord. Let that mechanics all work properly. Keep the air traffic controllers vigilant. Everything I could think of. But I still had fear over me. All the other passengers who, who had a fear of flying, on that flight, they weren't afraid. Because they were too busy worrying if they were going to remember how to do CPR when I passed out from hyperventilating. I was terrified. It was evident to anyone on the plane that I was in fear. So God led me to a Bible passage, or at least I found one that I could hang on to. In fact, it was an entire chapter. And so I was diligent. I'd bring my Bible, I'd open it up, and I'd start reading that chapter, and I'd I'd hang on to it. I'd make my mind, concentrate mind. Do not think about the plane is taking off. I can feel the bumps already happening. Oh, no, I'm reading. And I, I just kept trying to focus my mind. And I read that to myself. I read it to the people who were sitting next to me. And I have read it to the entire plane over and over and over again for an entire flight. Greg can attest, we were on a tiny little plane flying to Mexico on Scare Mexico. Ever flown them? Oh, my gosh. So we get on the plane. It's little. I'm short. I'm 5'2". I'm bent down. Are you kidding me? How did you get me on this plane? I'm asking him. I can't believe I agreed to this. We're flying to the interior of Mexico on this little bitty plane. But that wasn't enough. We get in the plane, and the pilot and co-pilot, there's no door because it's pre-9-11. And so there's no door. I can see all the instrumentation, and I can see everything the pilots are doing or not doing. We begin to take off, and we're starting to climb off the runway. I can feel the wheels retract, I think. Maybe we hit a bump. I don't know. I don't know enough about airplanes. They break out their lunch. They aren't paying attention to any of their console, all of the lights that are flashing. 
they're eating burritos and drinking something out of a thermos. I don't know what it is. Nobody's checking the pilots, what they're drinking. And that entire plane got to hear my chapter that was comforting to me out loud, so loud that Greg said to me, Marietta, shh, hush. And I said, it's the word of the Lord. <laughs> right back to it. Do not forget what I just told you. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this opportunity this morning. I thank you that you woke us up. You got us here. I thank you that we are your, your children whom you love and you are our good father. Father, I thank you that you set us free, you break chains, that your desire is for us to walk in total victory in every area of our life. Lord, as I handle your word, please have me do it rightly. Guide my thoughts, guide my lips, and if I say anything that isn't of you, may it fall dead to the ground. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3. Start beginning with verse 13. Got that up? Okay. So as you know, we've been doing a series through First Peter. Pastor Allen has started it. It's been going on for a while, and we're, this is where we are. A number of different people have spoken through this, and um, you'll hear me refer back to some of their sermons and messages. So let's begin. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers or zealots, of what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Anybody count themselves blessed in the middle of a trial? (laughs) No. But if, we're told, but if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, count yourself blessed or highly privileged. He's, of course, quoting the Matthew 5.24, passage on the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 14 goes on, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. He got that from Isaiah 8:12, which goes on to read, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. When I was in that airplane, I went letting him be my fear. My fear was real, and it was that airplane. And the people operating it, and the people who were telling it where to go, and any other myriad of luggage that might be underneath containing something that who knows what, that was my fear. So Isaiah tells us, and why he was quoting that, is because Really, our fear needs to be of the Lord. He's in control. Verse 15 goes on, But sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear or respect. Our conduct or how we behave changes people. What our lives look like day to day, just how we live, can cause people to look at us and want to be different. Wonder why are we going through 
stuff, trials. And we're not falling under pressure like I did in the airplane. So we're supposed to give an answer. And I think one of the reasons why we don't get an answer is much like the fear that I had in that airplane is that we have some fear associated with sharing the gospel. Fear that we can't explain it adequately enough. Fear that we don't know the word good enough to share with other people. Fear that we'll be asked questions that we don't have answers to. And fear of what people will think of us. And finally, fear of being rejected. I mean, I have experienced all of that. Maybe this is why God said a few verses earlier, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. He wants us to fear him and not the people we're sharing with. Let's go on to verse 16. Having a good, having a good conscience that when they defame you or speak evil of you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct or your behavior in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You, how many know that you can do everything right and you, we still have trials? Like stuff still happens to us. Stuff still happens to me. You know, I, I want to say that I've grown beyond that, but the truth of the matter is we're never going to get beyond that. We're still going to have trials. If you remember that earlier this year, Dr. Atchison spoke here and he talked about having trials and tribulations and how they can be for four reasons we can have them. And one of them is for our edification that God is trying to get us to come out the other side better than we were before. And one is for our, our emancipation. We can get free of something or something needs to let loose of us. And then for other people's evangelism, so they see us going through it. And if we are able to not fear the way this person up here did, um, they, we have a testimony there. And, and they're reading that in us. And then for God's own exaltation. How many in here have experienced healing? So you had to be sick to get a healing. So when you got healed, that was God being exalted through you. Is that awesome? You know, is that awesome? And and whoever got free today, because I'm believing during that song, there were chains broken. That person has a story, something to share in the right time and with someone else. So let's go on down to verse 18. For Christ also suffered or died once for sins, for the, for the just, he's just, for the unjust, we're the, we're the unjust before we're saved, right? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. See, it isn't this life that we're living that we're concerned about with as Christians. It's the life that's coming that we're concerned about. 
So he died, Jesus died, to pay a debt I couldn't pay myself. There was nothing I could do to be good enough to get in front of God. Verse 19 said, I'm sorry, are we on? We're on verse 19. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Okay. So this is a, this is, why am I even telling you about this passage? Because I am not a commentator. I am not a theologian. And they can't even agree to what it says. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples of what they believe it means. And some things we won't know until we get to heaven. And then I am convinced that we won't care. (laughs) So some commentators say that the spirits in prison are those people who who, uh, died before Christ died. And so Jesus went and preached the good news, his victory, to them so that they could have an opportunity to get to heaven. Some commentators say that he's talking to the angels who were thrown out of heaven with Lucifer, who were responsible for the corruption on the earth in Genesis 6. That's another 10-day seminar we won't talk about today. And that he went down and he went to show them his victory. I don't know which one is right, but I'm sure that there will be another opinion out there somewhere. The important thing to take from these passages, this passage is that Jesus talked to somebody in prison one time. And then... He rose from the dead. He walked around here on earth, and then he went to heaven. And when he went to heaven, he seated himself next to God. He is not in hell preaching to people who are still dying unsaved. That's our job. Right? That's our job, not his job. He's up there in heaven. He is not going back down to hell again to bring everybody out. He did that. And he talks about Noah here and the flood. And what happened, if you remember, is the earth had become corrupted. Everybody was evil except Noah. So he brought out Noah, his wife, Noah's three sons, and their wives. They're the only righteous people left on the earth. And he brought them out through the flood, and he used the water to cleanse the earth. This is important because it ties into the next passage in verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. So there we see he's up there. He's in charge. Not us, him. The baptism, we are not saved by baptism. 
If you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, getting baptized will not get you to heaven. What it does, though, it's an act we symbolically do out of obedience that washes away our old nature, the sin nature that we inherited from Adam, and we rise out of that water a new creature, a new creation. Similar to how water cleansed the earth in Noah's days, it's our act, our obedient act of cleansing ourselves, allowing what Jesus did for us on the cross to cleanse us of our sins. You were cleansed of your sins when you received him as Lord and Savior, and this is a picture that you're drawing. It's a, no, nothing else a prophetic act. Does that make sense to everybody? Are we all on the same page? Okay. So let's get down to verse, uh, I guess we're going to start chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered or died for us in the flesh, arm yourselves or be prepared also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust or the desire for what is forbidden of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles or the heathens when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He's contrasting our behavior before our salvation. We've already done that, and now God wants us to follow in his will. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, so how does that connect to the previous verse? When we are saved, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're free. Why? Because our performance no longer dictates whether or not we get to heaven. Because Jesus did it all. He finished it on the cross. We get to go to heaven regardless of our behavior. If we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our life. Through his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, dominion is righteousness and holiness. That's what dominates our life, not sin. And we receive those when we are saved. Verses 4, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Okay. The best way I can explain this is I had, um, when I, Greg and I worked with young adults, had a couple of young women. It's been a long time ago. Um, and they both did a lot of partying on Friday and Saturday nights, would go out get drunk. Their group of friends, several of them had DWIs because they were drinking hard. One of these young women got a word from the Lord. She had to quit drinking. So she told the other woman, 
look, I've got to quit. I can't go to the bars anymore because if I go in there, I'm not going to not drink. I just can't go in there. And the other one said, well, if you don't go in the bars with me, then you're not my friend anymore because you're not doing what I like to do. So let's fast forward about 15 years later. One of these young women is serving the Lord, and one of these young women isn't. Can we guess who is who? The one who made a stand for God. She already knew she couldn't be tempted. Her friend tried to drag her back into it, and she just stood. And she lost her friend over it, her best friend, but she stood. And some of us are going to be faced with that, depending on where we are in our life, letting go with something that's tempting us right now. And we're going to lose some friends over it, maybe even some family. Verse 6 says, For this reason the gospel or good news was announced. The gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. We have a choice to accept Christ or reject him. You don't go to hell for sinning. You go to hell for rejecting Christ. Now, when, when Jesus died and we accepted his, what he did on the cross, which was pay our penalty, something we couldn't do, we accepted that he hung on us or gave us his righteousness. So we are no longer slaves to sin or slaves under the law where we had to earn our way to heaven. We got his righteousness. And because of that, when God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness, not our righteousness. Oh, okay. Our righteousness is the way we get to heaven. It's our performance. It's what Jesus did on the cross, okay? So let's go back and look at how this happened. Before the cross, we had the law and commandments and statutes that you had to follow. And if you didn't follow them exactly right and do all the prescribed sacrificing of animals for the times you didn't follow them right, you were hopelessly lost. The commandments were set up to make us aware of our sin and our sin nature. I'll give you an example. The first commandment, we're supposed to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. I don't do that. I can't. I love Greg. I'm supposed to love other people. It's impossible to love God with all those things. So they were set up to show us how deficient we were. And God set up a remedy for what we could never do because we could never be that perfect. And the remedy was Jesus Christ. So since we couldn't pay for our own debt, we couldn't pay our own debt because we're not righteous enough to pay for our own debt. We're not good enough. He made a way for us to do that through the blood of Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are imperfect, Sinful, 
you come out on the other side, you accept him, you come out of the other side being clothed in his righteousness, his holiness, his redemption, his grace. What he did on the cross by paying our sin is grace. What he did, but our faith is how we accept what he did on the cross, our belief. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins, that we are clothed in his righteousness, his holiness, his redemption, because we have faith or belief. That's, that's what he's done for us. And our living hope, Pastor Allen explained what that was in, in, um, in the, earlier in the series in First Peter. Our living hope is we have a hope in heaven. When we die, we're not in the ground. We're not in hell. We go to heaven. That's our living hope. We have begun our eternity the minute that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What's important for us to consider is where we are in that. The parable of the soils in Matthew 18, 13, excuse me, 13, 18, I'm going to go right to where Jesus interprets us, for this, uh, for us. Okay, maybe they won't. I'll read it to you. Got it? Okay. Matthew 13, 8, I'm sorry, 13, 18. Okay. Therefore, okay. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. I've been there. Where someone came and preached the gospel to me and I walked away. I didn't hear it. Didn't really even fall on good ears didn't make any sense to me, and I walked away. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. That was me. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. And when the tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. I've been there too, where... Someone preached the word to me, told me that as soon as I received Christ, everything was going to be really good in my life. (laughs) Well, it wasn't. My car broke down, had employment problems, consequently financial issues. It wasn't good for me. And I fell away. I walked away. And in fall, I walked away. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Well, and I confess to you that I've been there too. Where I've been, I knew I was saved, but things in this world enticed me to go there 
instead of walking in the righteousness and holiness that God had for me. I chose and walked away. And it became unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, and who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is where we want to be, is with good soil. If we're going to have fruit in our life, we have to have good soil. And what are we planting in that soil? The righteousness that Christ gave us. The holiness that Christ gave us. And if we allow our, if we allow that to take root in our life, we will produce the righteous, we will produce righteous fruit. We will produce holy fruit. I want to kick us back to verse 15 in 1 Peter. Always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Kind of explain why we're saved, how we get saved. We've explained what faith and um, grace is. Grace is what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, Jesus is grace to us. But we have to share that with people. And the first time someone walked me down the Romans road, I wasn't saved. I didn't understand what they were trying to tell me. It didn't make any sense to me because I had no understanding. I'm not saying that that's the wrong way to witness or to share your faith, but it didn't speak to me at that time in my life. What's our defense for someone who asks you? And you better have, you know, if they're going to ask you, your life has to look different than theirs, right? And so if someone is going to ask you, they want your story. They want my story. If, I'm, if I say I'm witnessing through my lifestyle, then first of all, my lifestyle better look different than someone else's, than the people who live in the world. And if they're going to ask me, they don't want me to take them to the Bible, which they don't believe in yet. They want my story, and they want your story. And every one of us have a story about who, who God is to us, why he's real, why we have a hope. God is my deliverer. He's my conqueror, and he is my peace. He took that crazy fear of flying that I had, a horrible fear of flying that no drug could ever wipe away and he broke it off of me. He took it away. Oh, well, you just got used to flying because you flew that much. No, I didn't. I didn't because I didn't fly for eight years and then I got on a plane and flew to Germany on a nine-hour flight and had no fear not even a twinge. The enemy didn't even bother trying to come back there for me. I was free of that, and he set me free. He is my deliverer, my conqueror. That's my story. I know he is real because he delivered me. And in the place of that fear, I had enormous peace, so much peace that people on the airplane were attracted to me. I would sit down. I'd still open my word because it would become a habit by now. 
I'd open my word. I'd start reading this giant Bible. You know, there was no hiding what it really is. I didn't have, there were no cell phones. I didn't have an app, um, or there were no smartphones. I had no app. I had paper. I'd open this up. I'd lay it on my lap or lay it on the tray table if we're allowed to have those down. And I'd start reading. And invariably, on every flight, somebody would either be sitting next to me and I had a ministry opportunity, or, and they would ask me. And the first time it happened to me, I was so dumb that they said, what are you reading? So I'm reading the Bible. Five minutes goes by. Why? I'm, I'm like trying to read here. You ever been there? I'm trying to read here. Somebody keeps bothering you. Well, to learn more, I go back to reading. That person kept on. Learn more about what? And I was like, okay, God, I got it. So by the time we got off that flight, this man who was probably about 15 years older than me at the time, maybe 20 years older, was weeping. And he said to me as we're standing getting off the plane, my life will never be the same because of you and what you shared. And I said, it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. He saw that in me. He saw that in me. So when God broke that off, he gave me something else. He gave me a testimony. And then he filled my time on those flights with people who were hurting, who needed someone to pray with them, people who thought they knew it all, who needed me just to ask a question, people who, in one case, needed deliverance. But he was always faithful to me from that time forward. And this was real to me. God was real to me. The word says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And if we're going to share our faith with someone, maybe it's not about the first time you were saved. Because I got saved, it was kind of like this. When I really got saved, it was like, well, this seems right to me, and I believe in God, and I, I'm going to believe that he said that he would do what he said he would do for me. And I didn't have a mountaintop experience. I wasn't drunk and heard his voice. I wasn't high on drugs, and he rescued me out of it and made me sober off the drugs. I didn't have any of that. He didn't change me overnight. I have had to fight for where I am today, and I'm going to be keep fighting And some of us have to keep fighting, moment by moment. I just thought it was right. I thought he was right. So when we talk about overcoming by the word of our testimony, it's not really how you got saved. It's about what he's done for you. And every one of us have a story of something he has done in our life. And it's through the telling of those stories to people who don't know him yet and to each other that we get an opportunity to be encouraged, to encourage someone else. Be ready. Be thinking about the story that the Lord has placed in your life, what he has delivered you from. And you probably have a dozen. I mean, I have three medical miracles documented where he has healed me. He's my healer. I mean, he's provided for me 
when I had nothing, he was my provider. And I know all of you have that as well. What is your ready defense if someone should ask you why your life is different? The last thing that I want to cover is when we're saved, we get God's righteousness. This is not a license to sin. Because we're supposed to have fruit. And if we have fruit that looks just like the world, you know, I, I'm go out every Friday and Saturday night and get drunk and sleep in all day Saturday and maybe make it to church, I, do, I look like everybody else. If I lose my temper at work and scream and yell like a banshee, okay, I don't scream and yell like a banshee. I scream and yell like a Sicilian because that's what I am. I, I lose my witness. If I lose my patience with a waitress, or the person helping me at Kohl's, I'm just like the world. I had an occasion recently where I had made a purchase, a couple of purchases in a store, and the salesperson put all but one of the items in the bag. This was on the other side of Fort Worth, way out there. I drove all the way back to Granbury before she called, and I opened the bag to find that that item was missing about the same time she called me. I had to get in the car and drive all the way back to Granbury. Or, excuse me, Fort Worth. Do you know, I could have gone in there, taken out a piece of her, because that's the Sicilian part of me that I'm constantly pushing down, trying to leave behind, but I didn't, and it had to be, the Holy Spirit, because I went in there and I just said, it's okay. And she was so ready for me to be angry with her. When I wasn't, she started weeping. How can you be so nice about it? I said, because, you know, in the scheme of life, this is not going to matter in 10 years. And she knew something was different about me. And she said it. No one would have been that nice to me. She knew I had to come all the way back here and then drive all the way back there. Today we've covered a lot of area from reminding ourselves what kind of ground we have. And each of us needs to assess where we are right now in the Lord today. What kind of ground do you have? If we call on the name of Jesus, like the song said, if you name the name of Jesus, then we have to live a lifestyle or want to live a lifestyle or try to live a lifestyle that witnesses to other people so that they can ask us what the reason is for our hope. We have to have that ready answer of what's different about you. Why didn't you crumble when you got on the airplane? Why didn't you crumble at the hospital? As we put to death the old thought person through bat- that died after we accepted Jesus Christ, I-, I told you about not having, not willingly sinning. It's because we have to have, 
the fruit of righteousness in our life. When you get saved, you accept Jesus, you get that mantle, but you don't have any fruit yet. It takes a while sometimes to produce that fruit. I've only seen one person flip overnight. One person in my entire life flipped overnight. And years later, he's still walking that same path for Jesus. So most of us are going to work, are going to have to constantly renew our mind of where we are and who we are. That righteousness is our identity. That holiness is our identity. If you are told you're rotten, you're no good, you're going to amount to nothing, you're going to live down to that expectation. But if you are told you are righteous in Christ, you are holy in Christ, you are redeemed, you are going to rise up and you, your identity will start to produce fruit in your life that is righteous, fruit that is holy, fruit of the redeemed. And some of us today, I mean, I've been there in my life, walking under the law or trying to mix the law, keeping, you know, being good enough with salvation. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We can never be good enough. We have to get our minds around that the price was paid and we could never pay it. There is nothing, even, even if you go to hell, if you haven't paid the price, the people in hell have not paid the price required for their salvation. It can only be paid here in this lifetime. And it's only by accepting Jesus Christ. We don't always get it right. I don't always get it right. But every time we take a step, day by day, we want to be walk in that righteousness and holiness just a little bit more. Encourage each other. Don't speak bad. We, Pastor Sheikh preached about putting deceit, malice, anger, evil speaking behind us. And we don't want to hold on to those things, especially when it concerns each other. We want to, we want to declare to each other that you are the righteousness of Christ. You are holy. You are holy in Christ. That's who you are. You are righteous. And encourage each other to pick up that and possess what Christ did for us on the cross so that it permeates every area of our life so that we can be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in us. 